Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I'm continuing my discussion on the subject of artisanal small-scale mining. Today, my guest is Patricia Moene. Patricia is a sustainable jeweler and a founder for Ingwezetai Jewelry in Copenhagen that uses uh, designs in jewelry to drive sustainable development, especially in Africa. Patricia is a native of uh, Zambia and has been living in Denmark since 1992. She believes that African gemstones should be translated into visible economic development and viable employment opportunities created in the uh, mining industries. She holds an MSc in project management and an MSc in information management and finance from uh, the UK. Patricia is also on an advisory board for Black in Jewelry Coalition in the United States and is part of the Responsible Jewelry Council Women Leadership Group. Patricia, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for ha having me, Sheila. I wanted uh, to talk to you specifically about the role of jewelry in artisanal mind, but I, I'd like to start first with a simple question. I see you attach a lot of value to the concept of sustainable development. Could you just briefly explain to our listeners what you mean by sustainable development in this context? Well, oftentimes, I think from a Western perspective, when you talk about sustainable development, you know, um, the focus is on the three P's, you know, uh, people, um, uh, uh, people, uh, planet, you know, um, and and profit, um, but for what what I have found is that the the concept of sustainable development does not have the same meaning um, in in Africa and in this case in, in Zambia. Um, sustainability is, is oftentimes um, connected, you know, from a Western perspective with conservation, you know, the focus is a lot more, for example, on wildlife, taking care of the wildlife, um, and not so much on people. So for me, um, sustainable development, if I have to look at it from an African context, needs to put the people first. And in this case, people in extractive mining communities who supply a lot of the um, the gemstones, the gold um, and diamonds, you know, that the global jewelry industry uses in jewelry manufacturing. So people first. So uh, staying with the notion of, of people first, and, and it may seem self-evident why we would say people first, but I'm not going to take for granted that we're on the same page. So rationalize for me, why people first? Uh, <clears throat> from an economic perspective, obviously every company um, exists to make a profit, you know, and any investor that is going into Africa um, to invest, whether it be in mining or in, in, in manufacturing, is there um, to make money. Oftentimes, um, what we've seen in the last couple of years is that um people feel that the the investors who come in are doing them a favor by investing in their communities but it's the other way around 
it's the communities that live on the land which has these resources that is actually accommodating investors. And when investors make money, a percentage of what they make should also go towards supporting development in these communities, but that is not the case. So when I talk about, you know, um, like my, my take on sustainable development is that the extraction of these resources should also contribute to development in the, com in the communities. The people living in the communities have to be part of the process. Hmm. So uh, a significant <laughs> amount of um, gemstones and um, precious metals supplied uh, from Africa, Latin America, and Asia are produced using artisanal miners. And uh, people argue that the value that accrues to the artisanal miners relative to the value that accrues to the jewelry manufacturers is disproportionate. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, Patricia, as a jewelry designer, how do you ensure that you give fair value, but also that you source responsibly with respect to human rights, women's rights, the environment, children, and all things sustainable? It's very difficult because um, at the moment, um, there are not many policies in place um, in, I, I, I can, in this case, I can only speak for Zambia, that actually um, there is no clear regulation or policy in place to ensure that uh, people like me and others who are operating in this sphere um, uh, give back. That being said, you know, um, as as you know, an entrepreneur, um, even though you know, it's like I, I'm I'm running um, a for-profit uh, social enterprise. Um, for my uh, organization to exist, I need to make a profit. But what I'm aware, what I'm very well aware of, is the fact that. Um, I talk about sustainability a lot uh, in extractive communities. What I'm aware of is that a lot of the people that I'm working with in the communities do not know what these terms mean. A lot of the people in the communities do not know where the resources go, you know, once they extract it, once they sell them. So for me, my way of ensuring that I am giving back or I am uh, doing business according to the guidelines that are stipulated, whether it's in OECD, um, is to educate the people on the ground on what the requirements are from the international community. There's a massive gap there. Um, I find that even our educational institutions in Zambia are not teaching um, for example, responsible sourcing, which I think is a buzzword, um, and sustainable development as well, you know, is a buzzword. But it has the fact that the way uh, these um, terms are perceived uh, here 
in the West and the way they are perceived uh, uh, in the communities when they where their resources come from um, is it, it, different. It, it's very difficult to align, you know, to align. Um, it's like when I'm operating in this sphere, I wear two hats, obviously. And first of all, you know, I'm, I'm Zambian. I'm a Zambian in the diaspora, you know. So in the diaspora, I have um, I have a lot of knowledge about how things uh, should be done. But um, for a lot of the people that I work with on the ground, they do not have the knowledge that, you know, that I have. So my role in this is to pass on the knowledge that I have. Um, and in, um, in doing that, help them to help me. So I cannot say that I am sourcing responsibly if the people that I am dealing, doing business with do not know what, you know, uh, responsible sourcing means, you know. So I need to educate my community about what it means before, um, you know, for me uh, to stand in my truth and say, well, I'm doing the correct thing, which hmm. right now um, I, to a certain extent, yes, that is the case. But as long as uh, there is a lot of, um, as long as you know the the the, the knowledge of what it means to um, operate uh, responsibly is not in the community, then you know there's a huge question mark there. Hmm. So uh, I I think you make an important point, which is that. Uh, for all of us, and and I think it's not just uh, educating your suppliers in Zambia. I think there's also an element of your Zambian suppliers educating you, and I don't mean necessarily you specifically, Patricia, but uh, those who are making jewelry and sourcing from different parts of the world. So, so I mean, how do you ensure that uh, your suppliers in Zambia, for instance, comply? with uh, the notion of responsible sourcing, the notion of fair trade. The, these are, I think it's fair to say, are matters that are in your control. You, you can say, I will buy from uh, suppliers who comply with X, Y, and Z. What is your X, Y, and Z? That's very difficult. Uh, for example, if you're sourcing, um, whether it be, let's say, emeralds or aquamarine or amethyst from a small scale miner, um, they often live in very, very remote air areas. Um, most of them do not have access to the internet. Um, and very few of them have got uh, smartphones. So they, if, 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 I mean, just looking at the landscape, if you look at Zambia as a country, it, it, it's massive, you know. If you have to travel, let's say from where we have um, the the lapidary workshop um, to um, let's say yeah to the, the the south where you know the the amethyst mine is you know that's about it's about eight eight hundred kilometers you know and then off the main road you know you have to travel um, you know use a gravel road to get to the mine. Um, a lot of people in these communities are totally cut off from this conversation that you and I are having. You know, very few of them are going to listen to this podcast. So, um, to be uh, brutally uh, frank, it's it's very very difficult. 
Yeah, but uh, let's let's uh, separate two things. It's one thing for a program, a commitment, a policy to be difficult to implement, but it's another to at least be clear about it and then work backwards to try and improve. So my question to you was, let us assume the Zambian suppliers from whom you source were accessible, they had smartphones, and uh, they were listening to the podcast, all the things that you think would narrow the knowledge gap and the appreciation gap between you and them. What would you be asking them in terms of uh, working with them in a way that makes your sourcing and their supplying responsible and compliant with uh, sustainable development uh, concept? I think health and safety is very important, um, the manner in which they mine, because um, there are a lot of uh, fatal you know, um, accidents that happen um, due to the lack of, of uh, uh, the, the knowledge of you know, how to mine. Um, in health and, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of accidents that happen because a lot of uh, the, the small scale miners do not have the, the skills and expertise, you know, to plan their mining operations in a way that um, integrates, you know, health and, and, and safety. Um, the other thing is obviously, you know, I'd be asking if there's any child labor um, involved, you know. Um, I would be asking if there's any, if there are any women, you know, that are part of the, for example, if it's a mining um, association, if, you know, how many women um, are, you know, are involved um, uh, in extracting gem, gemstones. Um, I would look at how, you know, they source. Uh, for example, the, the the water. You know, what do they do with the the um, what 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 do they do? You know, with the waste. You know, uh, from the mine. Um, those are the kind of questions that I would be asking. Sure. So I I, I admire your candor because it is uh, easy for you to say to me, I source responsibility. I make sure they do this and that. Uh, and I'd have to take your word for it. I think it's more admirable to acknowledge that there's a gap between what is desired and what is feasible, and that you, as a jeweler based in Copenhagen, cannot say uh, with a hand on your heart that you know what is happening in Andorra in uh, uh, Zambia. But but what I find interesting is that isn't that what all the other miners, including large scale, are saying. And isn't this what you and I criticize large scale miners for failing to do, Patricia? Um, I, yes, I, I, um, I, I agree with you. I, I think I have, um, on, a, on a personal level, I, you know, I, I do have uh, uh, a hard time, you know, with the, um, may, maybe it's, you know, when you're in touch with the community, um, the people at home, as much as I am in, in touch with them or anyone in the diaspora for that sake, you know, you have a different relationship um, with, in this case, the community is also my family. <laughs> you know, um, 
So when I ask these questions about uh, what is happening there, I get, and you know, I get brutal answers, you know. And um, I try to be, uh, when it comes to sustainability, um, I try to be as honest as possible because it's, um, you know, the word itself is very heavy, you know, and covers uh, many things, but yes, I do feel that, and obviously that's personal, um, for a lot of the light scale mines, um, there is also a gap uh, in the information that they put up between what they say they are doing and in what is actually happening on the ground. Hmm. So uh, I, I think you are right uh, in acknowledging that you occupy uh, an unusual position, which on one level offers you an advantage, but on, on another, it, it creates potential problems for you, which is that you're a Zambian, you are embedded in the community, and so you have empathy. And it is not just uh, empathy made uh, as a result of uh, a sense of, uh, you know, doing the right thing. It's because you have the experience. Uh, but also it does mean, doesn't it, Patricia, that perhaps expectations on you are higher? Is, would that be correct? Do the Zambians expect you to know better and to do better, perhaps, than your foreign counterparts? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, not just do better, but come with a large sack of money, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yes, the expectations are high, but I think the expectations are high on both sides. You know, I think um, generally the, the global jewelry industry is working hard to bridge the gap between um, the, re the requirements that they have for sourcing responsibly and also for making sure that people in the communities are benefiting. So I, you know, I, at, at this point, you know, with everything that's happening, it, it's, it's nice to see and observe that, you know, I'm not the only one working in this sphere, you know. So uh, a lot of uh, jewelers in the West are educating, you know, their consumers. Um, and for us, you know, who are from who are in the diaspora, uh, but connected, you know, to our home countries, we are also doing our part to educate the communities. Um, but I think the the expectations are high on on both sides. But yes, they are much higher at home because there is a need uh, um, for people to make money. You know, um, the there's a lot of poverty, uh, obviously, uh, in, in mining communities. Um, and um, people want to see change, uh, but oftentimes they don't know how to approach or get the change that they want to see, you know, because mm. of the policy. You know, a, a big element, a, a big part of this is tied into policy, you know, uh, the policy from the, from, from the government. Hmm. So to 
You, you started off by saying you run a for-profit social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, your bankers and other investors expect a, a return. So I, I wanted to, to, to get a sense from you of how do you balance the uh, higher standards to which you are held by your Zambian uh, counterparts to the expectation of of yourself to make a profit and give a return uh, and, and the commitments that you have to your bankers. How do you balance being a business person, being a patriotic citizen and a responsible uh, jewelry manufacturer? Um, at the end of the day, I'm only Patricia. You know, um, I can only do what I can do within my means. Um, so, for me, as a, as a for-profit social enterprise, my goal um, within the gemstone sphere is to create jobs for gem cutters. So I connect the gem cutters with buyers internationally. And that is when you talk about you know, for-profit social enterprise. So for every gemstone that, if, if we, let's say we talk in terms of emeralds, for every emerald that is cut and polished in Zambia, there's at least 20 people that benefit. You know, there's a job uh, for someone in Zambia. There's a cutter that is supporting a family. You know, there's um, um, there's a small scale miner. You know, that is um, mining um, supply that is supplying um, the emerald. Uh, so when you talk about yeah, social enterprise, you know, what does it mean? You know. Um, what it means for me is using, let's say, the 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 social aspect um, of of my community to create jobs. You know. Hmm. So you you spoke about uh, you you uh, you made reference to women. Some people argue that in artisanal mining uh, activities, physically, economically, and otherwise, women suffer more severely the uh, adverse effect of uh, artisanal mining. What is your observation uh, using, for instance, Zambia as a, an example? Yes, they do. They do. I mean, it's... Um, uh, women often, like in, in most African communities, it's the women who bear the heaviest load, you know? Um, the women will make sure that... Uh, the, whether there is money or no money, women still have to make sure that the children eat. Uh, whether there's money or no money, the women will still have to make sure that you know the rent is paid. Um, so regardless of whether they're in ASM or yeah, in other industries, it's women that bear the heaviest load, but the women in ASM are very much um I mean, their their working conditions are un, undescribable. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, you know you, you know the first question you asked me you know so what's your take on how do you make sure that uh, um, for example, there's no child labor, you know, in, in ASM. I, it, it's important, you know, it, it's impossible for me to ensure that there's no child labor in, in, in ASM. 
because oftentimes uh, some of the women um, when they go to work, you know, if there's no one to take care of their child, they will go to work with the child. You know, they will be mining uh, gemstones or development minerals with the baby on the back. Uh, or they'll put the baby under, uh, you know, under, put a blanket under a tree and, um, you know, uh, leave the baby there and, you know, and then go to work. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot that needs to be done um, for women. Um, in ASM communities? Hmm. Um, you know, I find it interesting uh, that women play a major role uh, in upstream artisanal mining yes. as miners. And then other women in the value chain play a major role you just said in Germany, many of the women are jewelry designers and manufacturers are women. Eight in, in Germany, it's 80%. In Denmark, it's 90%. But it, it doesn't end there, does it? You then get uh, women also as the major consumers yeah. of uh, jewelry. Yeah. And, and, and yet, we still struggle to ensure that this industry that on some level is dominated by women almost throughout the value chain is benefiting women how do we uh, explain this contradiction um i think like if we if i have to give an example of zambia um <laughs> where i think 90 percent or 95 percent of goldsmiths are men <laughs> you know um, and the consumers are women. Um, it has a lot to do with culture. So for, I guess when it comes to certain jobs for a long time, it was okay, for example, for a man to train to be a goldsmith, for a man to train to be a mechanic. Um, it was okay for a man to train to be an engineer, but we're, we're seeing now, you know, if, if we have to maybe look at, um, at Scan Scandinavia as an example, is that women are also equally capable of operating um, in these professions. Um, so we need to create opportunities for them. Hmm. Um. Most people look at uh, luxury brands, luxury commodities, and, and they see that uh, these are driven by large companies and multinationals. But they also argue that these companies do more harm than good, including in mining. My, my last question to you is, you are a small businesswoman yeah. making a living like your counterpart in um, Zambia, albeit upstream. And so do you see small and medium enterprises providing the artisanal miners a better opportunity or a better value proposition than your multinational counterparts? Yes, I do. Uh, in the sense that the small and uh, medium enterprises are much more closer uh, to their same communities than the large scale mines. And also, um, 
in the way, um, in the approach, actually. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't think it's a secret that large scale mines look at artisanal small scale miners as a nuisance, but they're not a nuisance. <laughs> um, the artisanal small scale miners are part and parcel of the whole ecosystem. And as such, they need help with formalization. Um, mm. That being said, when you look at, uh, not, not just in Zambia, but I think across Africa, when you look at a lot of uh, small, medium enterprises often operate uh, in a sphere maybe which is not so formal, um, it doesn't mean that they're illegal. I mean, they're, they, they still um, uh, generate, you know, uh, livelihoods, you know, for people. So there's a very big difference, you know, when you look at ASM in Africa, um, looking at ASM in Africa, you know, with Western eyes is the wrong way, you know, to, 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 to solve, you know, the, the challenges. There is a whole ecosystem um, in Zambia and in other countries that actually supports the same luxury um, uh, jewelry uh, uh, companies. You know, if we have to go in and maybe do due diligence and ask each and every one of these um, luxury jewelry companies where this, this where they sourced each and every gemstone that is used in their jewelry collections you will find that some of them actually are actually coming from asm so it becomes i think you know it, it it's it's high time that i think across the continent we recognize that ASM contributes, even, even though it's, it's informal in its nature, it does contribute um, to creating jobs for people uh, uh, in, in communities. Um, and measures need to be taken uh, on a policy level um, to document their contribution. And also mm. find ways in which to support them, you know, um, it could be in terms of helping them acquire, for example, machinery so they can mine um, in a manner which is safe, you know, um, helping connecting them to the market. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think on that note, um, I want to just course and thank you very much uh, Patricia for taking the time to speak with the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you Sheila.